Um, we're going to talk about the line in time. If you've been watching the news or chatting with people who are Christians or even the non-Christians, you're well aware of the fact that people are finding the Christmas season has become a time when they are emotionally exhausted and seriously spread too thin. On the news the other night, they actually had articles, people talking, psychologists involved, letting you know how you can decompressurize yourself during the Christmas season. Because the additional activities and events added to an already very busy life end up bringing people to the edge. Um, The additional expenses added to an already tight budget, taking over many over the top when it comes to their uh, finances in January. The feeling of not being able to do or buy everything that seems to be expected of us at this time of the year. Uh, failure as a parent, failure as a person, because you can't meet the expectations, won't meet the expectations. So according to the newscasts and a whole pile of people I talked to at Shoppers Drug Mart, the stress levels have gone through the roof and many are simply not handling it well. You add to this, as believers, the fact that Jesus gets almost totally lost in the midst of our celebrations of Christmas because we have joined the world in a worldly celebration. The fact that we have less time to think and pray and read the scriptures at Christmas than we do at other times. The fact that personal space and personal time seem to be very hard to find. And the fact that reflection and contemplation, which for Christians are weak at the best of times, cease to exist in the season when they should be stronger and the most prevalent. Christmas becomes something we don't want it to be. And it has become something that does not resemble a Christian celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Period. That's my opinion, but it seems to be the opinion of believers and non-believers. So let's look at the scriptures. In Luke chapter 2, where you find most of the Christmas story. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Underline two parts of that when you saw it. And those were the words peace and joy. And I think those are the two noticeably absent ingredients for most people in Christian and non-Christian alike in the world today. Believers and non-believers at this special time of the year are not celebrating peace, not experiencing peace, and I don't see joy. I just see a lot of anxiety and stress. So the birth of Jesus saw God the Father, the creator of everything that there is, draw a line in time. Jesus's birth forms the line in time between B.C., and A.D., or as it's now known, B.C.E. and C.E., before Common Era, 
and common era. And I'm here to tell you, because I got really ticked off when I was thinking about that, that there is nothing common about Christmas and the time of Christ's birth. That the line in time that God drew was not to bring us into the common era. God drew a supernaturally supernatural line in time when his son was born in Bethlehem and everything changed forever never to be the same again and nothing is common anymore everything changed forever so a new kingdom was birthed upon the earth the kingdom of God a new understanding of God as a father was revealed and no one knew God as father before this the end of religion was announced. Rules, regulations, and rituals were no longer needed. Religious control and manipulation no longer had any power. People could now have a direct relationship with the living God. No need for a priesthood based on an Old Testament model. The priesthood I belonged to at one time. The foundation of the church was being laid in the spirit realm. War was declared against the forces of evil and religion. Things began to change the second Jesus was born upon the earth. So I want to be really clear. There is nothing common about Christmas and the birth of Christ. In fact, everything was or is, if there's such a word, uncommon. Through the birth of Christ, God's glory was revealed. The word glory simply means his nature and his character. Grace was released and experienced Truth was established. That's a key today because we don't think there's any absolutes. Well, there are. And it was established when Jesus was born. John 1.14 And the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. That was the glory that was revealed. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus was born, nothing became common. Everything changed forever. Because of grace, grace being receiving what we don't deserve and can't earn, we can also come to understand mercy, which is receiving, not receiving those things that we do deserve, because we all deserve to go to hell. So through his birth, his death, and his resurrection, God's glory, God's grace, and God's truth became known. However, you can't have the crib without the cross, and you shouldn't have the cross without the crown. And so through his birth, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again as King of Kings, we also receive forgiveness for sins. They became possible through repentance. We also have acceptance of who we are as we are. That was granted. And we have eternal life being received, and eternal life is the supernatural ability to have a relationship with God. His birth changed everything, forever. Healing and deliverance were released as basic rights of a believer. The Holy Spirit was released to empower and enable us to share God's love. The gifts of the Spirit were released to impact the lost, the last, and the least. And salvation became available to all and whoever, whosoever will. We've lost all that. 
because we're so busy buying gifts we forget about the gift. His birth in Bethlehem was not the beginning of the common era. It was the release of the kingdom of God and the gift of salvation. And as a result of his birth in Bethlehem, we have come to understand, know, and experience three key elements of the Christian faith. Faith, hope, and love. Hmm. Faith is defined as trust in God, trust in his promises as made through Christ and the scriptures by which we are justified or born again or saved. Faith is defined as belief that is not based on proof. If you have proof, you have facts. Faith doesn't always have facts. And it's confidence and trust in a person. As Christians, our trust and confidence is in Jesus Christ. Faith is a now thing. And it works in everyday life. Because Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Or the Amplified Version, which is the best, Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, and the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So to have faith, to believe, is more than head knowledge. It is a heart transformation. And to believe means that we simply, totally trust in Jesus. Christmas is all about having faith, not about gifts, not about family. It's about having faith. And faith is the key to all that we believe and the way we live today. Examples. We receive righteousness through faith. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I may not always act like it. I definitely don't look like it. But according to scripture, I believe that I have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're justified through faith. Not through works, but through faith. We stand fast through faith. So when you get hit hard by troubles, trials, tribulations, you're going to stand fast if you have faith. We're the children of God through faith. We are indwelt by Christ through faith because you don't feel him on the inside. Faith is a key element to those of us who believe in the birth of the Savior on the first Christmas. We're raised with Christ through faith. We are raised with Christ through faith. You don't have to live in the sewer anymore. You live as victorious. We inherit the promises through faith. We conquer kingdoms, enforce justice, and stop the mouth of lions through faith. And we're guarded and kept safe through faith. So our faith rests in the fact that God was born as a man 
at Christmas time, the first Christmas in Bethlehem. That's not a common event. So therefore, we don't live in a common era. Jesus was born in a manger. He wasn't born in a stable. And there is a difference. For the manger was the place where the sacrificial lamb was housed until it went to slaughter. A stable was where animals were raised and taken care of and brought in out of the cold. And so the real scripture says that Jesus was born in a manger. He was literally born where the sacrificial lambs were kept for the day of sacrifice. He's foretelling us something. He's letting us know how important he really is. So he didn't just find an empty stable. He was born in a manger. God took care of all the minor details. Already he was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Just by where he was born. So that's faith. And you have faith because of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. But we also have hope. Hope is defined as to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. To believe, desire, and trust regarding something in the future. Expectancy of future events and changes. And a longing for something or someone. Faith is always now in the present. Hope is always now for the future. And that makes a big difference. I have a longing for someone to return. And that gives me hope. So Paul writes, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people must most to be pitied. In other words, our hope isn't just here and now. It's in the future as well. So hope leads to boldness. When you have the hope of eternal life, the hope of going to heaven, you can be bold. So what if they kill you? You know where you're going. Hope is in a person, Jesus, and in his promises. (coughs) We are called to be people who live with hope. We have hope because of what is waiting for us in heaven. I already put in my order the mansion he's building for me will be by the seaside in a warm place with lots of sun. I'm hoping. You're right. I'm hoping. Hope Hope is something that is steadfast within us. It doesn't wobble every time something hits your broadside or you didn't see it coming. Hope, without hope, we grieve at the loss of a loved one. I'm not saying you don't cry when a loved one departs. They don't pass, by the way. You pass gas. You don't pass. You die. We're, We're kidding ourselves with all the new ways we say these things. Hope is more than a heart feeling. It is a head fact. Sorry, that should say fact, not fast. Hope comes as a result of the gift of grace. So you didn't earn this hope either. Jesus is our hope. Eternal life is the result of not losing hope. And we all are to live in full assurance of our hope. Listen. 
People in the world don't have hope. Christians have hope. And we need to start living like we believe that. Because we don't always come across like we have hope. Okay, Having hope can never be common. It is so amazing, so awesome, so supernatural, so uplifting, so needed, and so much into the future. So it's not common. So we have faith, we have hope. Faith is now, hope is now, and into the future. There is a third one. Major reason why we're not living in a common era, and that is the love of God. I guarantee you most Christians do not understand the love of God. Neither have they experienced it. Although I'm not sure how you can be a Christian without experiencing and encountering the love of God. In the English language, we have one word, love. In the Greek language, there are five words. The first one was philia, and that's affectionate regard as in a friendship. David and Jonathan had a love for one another. They weren't gay. The word used there would be the Hebrew word for the Greek word philia. In the time of King Solomon, in the Old Testament, David and Jonathan were best friends, and they had a love one for the other. Secondly is the word eros, which is sex, sexual passion or love. If you want to read about that in the Bible, read the Song of Songs, or it might be called the Song of Solomon, depending on the version of your Bible. And then we have storge, which is tenderness and affection as towards your parents or towards your children. That would be Jesus to his mother Mary as he hung dying on the cross, making sure she was cared for. Then we have philios, which is self-love or love of one's own self, because God said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those two words, love, are the same in English, but they're not in the original language. And then there's agape, which is the unconditional love of God for his children. That's love with no strings attached, love that never changes, love that accepts and forgives all the time, everywhere. So when you're reading your Bible, New Testament, written in Greek originally, you see the word love, you should go look it up and make sure you know which of those five it really is. So in Matthew 24, it says the love of many will grow cold. Well, that word love is agape. So the verse is saying many Christians will lose their passion for Jesus and for the lost. It's not saying the other four loves. It's talking about the love of the Christian. Well, he pours his love into us. Okay. Romans chapter 5, God pours his love into us through his Holy Spirit. So we have agape love inside us. Okay? Good. That's a good question. So this love that we have is powerful in the life of the believer and can never be considered common. We're not in the common era. Number one, it is seen in the birth, life, ministry, and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a gift from God so that we do not have to fear God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Thirdly, love builds us and others up, never tears down. It should be an up, not an us. 1 Corinthians 8 says love builds up. Number four, love controls us. This is the one we often miss. The, uh, oops, sorry. Love controls us. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Every day when we get up in the morning, we have to put on love after the first cup of coffee. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Sixth thing it says about love is to check your heart or your motives every day so that you keep yourself in love. Jude one twenty one. keep yourselves in the love of God. Seventh thing, God's love for us is unconditional and never changes. Number eight, if you love the world and the things of the world, then you don't love God. That's not loving comfort or all those other things. What that is saying is there is a world structure and system that functions, a financial system, a governmental system, a political system, and you're not to love that. So do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, so power, money, position, authority, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Number nine, when we love, we will not be allowed of not we will not allow offenses to control or destroy our relationships. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. I like that one. Number ten, nothing can separate us from God's love. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? And the answer to that is no one. If you want the proper reference for that, that is Romans chapter 3, verse 5. It's missing the colon. Number 11, God's love will never come to an end. Someone should say amen. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Number 12, helps us to build solid and healthy relationships because we can speak the truth in love. There's only one time that there's an exception to that rule. When your wife asks you if the new outfit she bought makes her look thinner, you can lie. Don't speak the truth. Yeah, you find yourself outside. All right, number 13, the way we can live with tremendous faith because faith works by love so for in christ jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love love never fails and love never ends this love is seen in the perfection and the wholeness of jesus jesus said there is no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hmm. He laid down his life for his friends. Do you remember in one of his last conversations with his disciples, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. No greater love has any man than to lay down his life 
for his friends. So in the midst of drawing the line between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the midst of drawing the line between B.C. and A.D., or B.C.E. and C.E., he made phenomenal changes which cannot be adequately summed up <coughs> in anything else other than faith, hope, and love. That's what the birth of Jesus is really all about. So he says, so... Oh, good. All right, one more. So he says... Faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is? Why? Because God, who is love, gave us a love gift on the first Christmas, and his love gift was in the form of his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And because of that, we can experience great joy and peace, which I don't see a lot of Christians experiencing. So I'd like us to go back to the basics. When the angel said, peace and joy, that's what this is supposed to be all about. Not family, not holidays, not gifts, not more food. It's supposed to be about experiencing, personally experiencing peace and joy. And if that's missing, then we missed Christmas. I don't care what we did around all that, but I honestly believe if that's missing, we're missing Christmas. And in my own life, that's very hard to protect because there's just so many other things expected of us and so many other events happening and so many things to occupy our time. And somewhere, as God drew a line in time, maybe we need to draw a line and say, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to have some personal space, some personal time, some reflection, some... So, my point is, let us be very clear, there's nothing common about Christmas, although we've made it very common, and there's nothing common about the birth of Christ or the time in history that we live in, whether it's CE or AD. Christ, Jesus is the child born in Bethlehem. Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus died for our sins that could be forgiven and have eternal life, now, forever. And Jesus will soon turn, return to take us home to heaven. Because the crib is always connected to the cross, which is always connected to the crown. So I don't know about anybody else, but I want to let the world know that unto us is born a king who has changed the course of all history and transformed all lives forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. We forget that, we may as well forget Christmas. Thoughts, comments.